Hey guys, how's it going? Just wanted to let you know that this week's weekend report is a reduced version from the full video which I have made available to subscribers on Seeking Alpha and to subscribers now on Spotify and Substack. So if you'd like to get uh, full access to this video, you can subscribe on Substack. You have an offer there for 50% discount or you can even subscribe now on Spotify if you are listening to this on YouTube. And if you are on Spotify already, then you can go ahead and uh, subscriptions have now been enabled. So basically, uh, I'm going to be doing this weekend reports every week, as I've been doing, um, but only for those who are subscribed. So go ahead and subscribe. And you know, if you don't want to, then I will still be providing some free content every now and then, uh, reduced versions like the one you're going to see today, perhaps a free video now and then. But as always, um, it'd be great if you wanted to support me if you get, went ahead and subscribe, if you like the content. So, thanks. Hello everyone and welcome to another weekly video update. Now we have a lot to talk about today in terms of what happened last week and also what we can expect moving forward. Now, of course, during the last week, we got some of the big tech earnings. We also had meetings at the Bank of Japan, uh, ECB and the Federal Reserve. And also we got some some data points out there in terms of macro. So a lot of things to discuss. I'd like to start by, uh, begin today by talking a little bit about the earnings. Now, of course, we kicked off earnings seasons with Tesla um, giving us that sell off. And now, on the other hand, we've had meta platforms and, of course, Google coming out with some better than expected results. We've seen both stocks pop. Now, of course, Google and Metro, two stocks that I have been bullish on for quite some time. I like their st I like their businesses, uh, especially Google. But I did write recently about Meta platforms and why I think that this is a time to sell. And now, of course, um, this is kind of based on technical analysis. But before we do that, let's look a little bit at the fundamentals and see why investors were so happy about these recent Meta results. Now, as we can see, uh, revenue growth came in at about um, 17 percent, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, here we go. Advertising revenue grew 12 percent. OK, quarter on quarter and over 17 percent year on year. OK, uh, but what's most interesting is that we got that increase in operating margin, which kind of, you know, um, bottomed down here in Q3 of 2022. And we've seen it now recover to about 29 percent. Getting a bit closer to, you know, you know what investors were getting uh, used to back in the day, yeah, back in 2021 with that operating margin of 43%. Now, we can see that this has been achieved in great part thanks to some interesting cost-cutting initiatives, yeah, so it's what some are calling the year of efficiency at Meta, so they're really, uh, Zuckerberg's doing his best to reduce costs, and this is you know, helping increase profitability. And we can also see that we've seen a bit of an increase in average revenue per user, uh, just across the board, yeah, if we look at here, um, ARPUs for the quarter. So that's also uh, helping out. And a lot of this is actually uh, can be um, attributed in part to some of the AI technology that is being implemented. Yeah, for example, we see here on the earnings call, yeah, he talks about the uh, Zuckerberg talks about the product roadmap and basically writing AI in the near term and the metaverse over the long term. And then if we look a little bit later, he says that AI recommended content from accounts you don't follow is now the fastest growing category of content on Facebook's feed. Okay, so very interesting how that is being implemented. 
And then in terms of future opportunities, uh, talked a little bit about, about WhatsApp, okay? And business messaging here is another key piece of our monetization strategy. And we recently announced that the 200 million users of our WhatsApp business app will now be able to, to create click to WhatsApp ads for Facebook and Instagram without needing a Facebook account, okay? And once again, the number of business using our paid messaging product has doubled year over year. So again, interesting numbers here in terms of growth. And then finally, of course, we talk a little bit about uh, the Oculus and the Metaverse. And Mark Zuckerberg did admit that you know, the growth hasn't been as stellar as they expected yet. Uh, he didn't add much yet, so we can see here. I don't think there's much change to there, except that it sort of signals that we're getting from the market. Uh, it's certainly not getting adopted a lot faster than we expected. That's sort of the somewhat sobering signal, okay? But nonetheless... Um, he says that the long-term thesis still will hold here. Yeah, so it's still bullish long-term on that metaverse potential. Um, now, basically, uh, after this, Bob, and to be honest, you know, I have been talking about selling meta for some for a few weeks now, so a little early on that call. But uh, right now, yeah, I, I do think that we're in a, in a prime situation to sell. A couple of reasons, obviously, of course, on the daily chart, we can see that this divergence keeps uh, building. Okay, so this kind of divergence on the RSI, we've been building since about $280. Uh, is really now getting uh, quite quite obvious, I think. And also now with the latest pop, we are now actually um, also once again back in overbought territory almost. Yeah, so again, I think this is basically a good um, good place really to to start taking some profits. On the other hand, if we look at the VPVR, we can see that uh, this is quite a key area of resistance. Yeah, we can see this yellow line here showing how much volume there was. And we can, of course, see that volume here where Facebook had this kind of previous level of consolidation before uh, selling off. And of course, this resistance level is going to be difficult to break through. OK, and then, of course, if we just look at the Fib extensions, we basically now have what I would call an extended wave five in place. OK, so. If we count this as a five wave impulse, which is what I'm doing here, and we look at how this moves from the bottom of wave two, we can see that this wave uh, five has now uh, very much surpassed the 2.618 extension, which would be the most reasonable target for it. Okay. Wait, if we measure here, actually, I'll get it a little bit higher here and from here. And again, so the 2.618 extension was leading us to about 270. Uh, we're a little bit beyond that now. So again, just thinking that this is really kind of uh, getting ready to turn now based on that. And here we have, of course, the uh, key levels to watch out here. First of all, in the VPVR, uh, we can see here 240 important, but also perhaps more important if we zoom out a little bit. Uh, here, this level at about 196 which coincidentally is also quite an important level in terms of FIB extensions. Of course, it's also where you have this 200-day moving average coming in. And in terms of the FIB retracement, this is around, if we measure the whole move, assuming this is all our completed impulse, here what could be a wave one or even just an ABC structure uh, to complete the wave five. Um, in any case, we'd expect now to hit perhaps uh, here we have the 38.2% retracement at 198. Uh, again, this is the level I was talking about. And then the 50% at 169. And of course, the last kind of level of support, 68.2% retracement here at 145. Okay. So 
it's kind of the levels that I'm watching out for. And definitely, again, if we were to reach uh, this level, yeah, so just around the $200 level, I believe that would be probably a very good, very good entry. But uh, anyway, in terms of earnings, of course, we have Amazon and Apple to look forward to. And um, you know, I haven't been tracking these so closely, but I'll definitely be looking at, at them on Monday and seeing uh, what we can expect moving forward. Now, I do think in general, I'm going to cover a bit later that the uh, queues, the tech is kind of, as we can see with Meta, similar things here, yeah, RSI divergence, uh, getting a little bit over overboard. So we really need to see that pullback, I believe. Um, and we already kind of did see a little bit of that. And um, anyway, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. I want to move on now to some of the more recent news in terms of the central banks, because we did get a lot of action uh, with the central banks, Bank of Japan, ECB, Federal Reserve, and even the PBOC. There's a little bit to say about all of them. Uh, most standout, of course, is the Bank of Japan, which, uh, as said in this headline, shocked markets with a policy tweak. And indeed, it did shock markets. And if you saw, it was that on Thursday, I believe there was that kind of a bit of a very quick sell-off. We then recovered that on Friday. But that kind of was the result of, or could be attributed to this news that the Bank of Japan would tweak its uh, yield curve control. So the yield curve control policy basically just keeps a lid on uh, Japanese bond yields. And this is something that has been happening um, since about, I can't remember now, 2017 or so. We'll look at that in a second. And basically, uh, the Bank of Japan is now basically talking about uh, perhaps scrapping this altogether, something that was already discussed a few months ago, in fact, but at the very least kind of loosening up this yield curve control, right? So we can see here that the Bank of Japan has been dovish for years, but it late, its, its latest move has left markets wondering whether it changes on the horizon. Central Bank loosened its yield curve control, or YCC, in an unexpected move with wide-ranging ramifications. It sent the yen whipsawing against the dollar, while Japanese stocks and government bond prices slid. Why it matters, the Bank of Japan has been dovish for years, but this move... But this move to introduce flexibility into its until now strict yield curve control has left economists wondering whether a more substantial change is on the horizon. The yield curve control is a long-term policy that sees the central bank target an interest rate and then buy and sell bonds as necessary to achieve that target. It currently targets a 0% yield on the 10-year government bond with the aim of stimulating the Japanese economy, which has struggled for many years with disinflation. In its policy statement, the Bank of Japan said it will continue to allow 10-year Japanese government bond yields to fluctuate within the range of 0.5 percentage points either side of its 0% target. But it will offer to purchase 10-year um, Japanese government bonds at 1% through fixed-rate operations. This effectively expands its tolerance by a further 50 basis points. Okay, so here is the interesting thing, of course, uh, with Japan saying that they're not going to really step in until uh, that 1% level. So that would be, let's say, kind of the new ceiling. Um, now, in terms of what this means for markets, I'm going to go through this article that was actually published by another fellow essay contributor, Dami Tokic. Yeah, um, very interesting. And he covers this issue quite well. So let's just go through what he says over here. Uh, now, first of all, in this chart, we can kind of see the uh, history of the Bank of Japan's um policy control yeah let's say so we can see here first of all how they began to uh lower interest rates 
And then, of course, as they were fighting that kind of um, lack of inflation or deflation, they introduced that yield cap. Yeah, so first of all, um, the yield cap being at 0%, so uh, yield code control here, keeping those rates uh, down to 0%, introduced in September 2016. Um, of course, this followed quantitative and qualitative easing, yeah, so um, which was introduced in April 2013. And anyway, so then we move on to about 2017, and here they kind of expand a little bit. Yeah, yield cap uh, zero plus zero point one percent. Then the yield cap increases to zero point twenty five percent, and basically now what we have is a yield cap of about zero point five percent. Okay, so slowly increasing uh, this uh, this yield curve control, which you know in simple terms we could just call uh, monetary tightening to an extent, right? Uh, yield curve control is a very easing uh, policy and we're seeing kind of the um the reversal of this right with yields uh, coming up now of course yields here still very very low but like the other article said perhaps a sign of things to come and also basically going to have quite big effects on global financial markets well why and now um here we get this explained quite well yeah for one thing increasing global interest rates so that's uh, for one thing something that can happen basically uh, with all this Japanese printing. It's basically um, leading to uh, Japanese investors obviously not owning much, much of the Japanese bonds. In fact, uh, I don't know, something ridiculous like 90% of bonds are owned by the Bank of Japan, right? But uh, we can see here that Japanese investors are the biggest holders of treasuries outside the US with 15% share of all US treasuries held by foreigners. They also own 10% of Australian bonds and Dutch bonds, 8% of New Zealand bonds and Brazil's bonds. Okay, and in fact, Japanese investors have already started selling foreign bonds over the last three months, with JGBs yielding 0.5%. As the JGB yield rises towards the 1%, the selling could intensify. Okay, so we're already seeing this affect global interest rates, which again, is just uh, tightening monetary conditions in a global perspective right and of course we can see here the us is particularly vulnerable uh, with that 15 percent total share and this is particularly important given that china is the second place with 860 billion and china could also be selling us treasuries due to the geopolitical situation in fact this is also already kind of an established thing china really has uh wound down its holdings or at least accumulation of treasuries and perhaps it's going to begin to uh, sell them a lot more. Now, I can also talk about the yen carry trade. The second risk related to the BOJ action is the blow up in the yen carry trade, specifically given that interest rates were so low in Japan. International investors had the opportunity to borrow in yen with near 0% interest and invest in high yielding assets globally. This benefited emerging markets, emerging market currencies, and all risk assets including speculative US stocks. Okay, this is what we mean by the carry trade, that possibility of borrowing at the low rate to invest uh, at um, high interest rates. Okay, and here, of course, the unhedged or naked yen carry trade works as long as the Japanese yen does not appreciate, as the yen appreciator could cancel the yield differential and more. The BOJ action and related selling of foreign bonds by Japanese investors could significantly boost the Japanese yen and cost the sell-off in all risk assets. Okay, so as we unwind that uh, yield curve control and that carry trade, basically, uh, we could see a lot of weakening in basically risk assets due to that lack of, uh, we could say, demand coming from the carry trade.
Okay. Uh, and that's about it. Yeah, for the initial stage, the Bank of Japan action could negatively impact U.S. Treasuries. The sustained spike over for the 4% yield on 10-year Treasury bonds could intensify the selling and push the yield towards the 5% level. Thus, at this point, I would not be buying U.S. long-term bonds, and I prefer short durations, such as three-month bills, yada, yada, yada. I would not be short long-term bonds either. Okay, in any case, um, very interesting take, and pretty much explaining um, how this is all unwinding here. Uh, in this article by Dami Tokic. Yeah, so very interesting. And I have been in talks with him to get him on the podcast soon. So uh, he's got some good stuff. So check him out. Uh, now, moving on, we also wanted to talk a little bit about um, the Federal Reserve. Of course, uh, we got that 0.5% point increase in the, um, in the federal funds rate. Okay, and that was pretty much expected. Yeah, we were looking at a 90% expected rate of increase sorry uh yeah we're looking about uh well over 90 percent a few days ahead of the meeting and now of course we have to look at the following meeting and again now we can see that investors are no longer really looking for a hike so there's now a very big consensus that this is it right so the fed pause is happening already that's kind of the implication with about 80 percent of market participants looking for a pause and you know uh we have to think about the fact that you know a lot of uh market participants are now kind of um you know if you look at how the market is priced it's kind of you could say priced to perfection right and there's not a lot of margin of safety now a lot of people are expecting the fed pause we also have that gdp data that came on came in a lot stronger than expected uh showing again that resilience but again uh this has been a theme for now close to get, well, getting close to seven, eight months, uh, at least half a year. And, you know, I think, again, we're basically at the peak, perhaps beginning to the peak of this euphoria. And we have to watch out with inflation, okay? Because inflation in the US, as I've discussed before, not necessarily under control. Now, the divergence here is, of course, the ECB, which is a lot closer to pausing, in my opinion. Now, we did get also that 25 BPS hike, and basically, uh, you know, we got Christine Lagarde uh, giving her press conference and basically uh, talking about that near-term outlook, which uh, has deteriorated. And this is also something that we mentioned in the newsletter on Monday. And that is, you know, really, if you look at those um, uh, PMIs coming out from Europe, if we look, first of all, to that extent, um, the economic data is coming in a little weaker. And of course, also the disinflation data coming in a lot weaker than in the US. Okay, so um basically I think that you know here the ECB is a lot closer potentially to pausing perhaps than the Federal Reserve. Okay. Okay. And it's important to take that into account moving forward in terms of how we want to trade these markets. So definitely something to think about because uh we basically like I said we have that Bank of Japan kind of tightening to an extent we have the Federal Reserve supposedly near a pause, but you know I think there there are definitely some risks uh, to inflation when we think about a of course how resilient the the economy is uh, in terms of growth, in terms of employment, and of course in terms of commodities, which we're going to look at in a minute, which I think could really increase the uh, that risk of uh, sticky inflation and give us perhaps another hike. Which again at this point that's the risk, right? At this point. Another hike is really going to uh, hurt markets. So that could really trigger the, the sell-off that I'm looking for. 
And of course, on the other side of the spectrum, we have China, right? Now, China did, of course, um, has a new uh, bank governor, Pan Gokcheng, okay, did meet with um, with um, Janet Yellen a few weeks ago. And China is, of course, right now in the process of kind of beginning to ease. Now, we did get, I believe, something like a 10% um, reduction in last month of its uh, interbank lending rate. Uh, stopped this month. Yeah, didn't do much this month. But uh, the kind of talk that we're getting from Beijing is that idea that, you know, they're going to start supporting um, supporting markets. They talked about supporting the housing market and that easing coming in from there. And something that we've kind of seen a bit reflected in um, Chinese equities, right? Because actually, and I've been talking about Chinese equities for a while, and they're finally really beginning to take off. Of course, we can also look from a technical perspective how Baba gave us a pretty uh, textbook breakout here, escaping from this wedge, retesting, and then carrying on forward. Uh, but again, this could be lead basically by the idea that... Um, China's really, um, you know, going to lead that way of monetary easing. Uh, QFIN, of course, one of the trade ideas, which I posted a long time ago, and now it's really, really taken off. I mean, we were adding here around 15, 16. Uh, we're now nearing 20, so very good trade. But of course, interestingly, and kind of in line with my general expectation of markets taking a little leg down lower, uh, we really have a completed five-wave moves here. So much like with other with other with other assets, I'm really expecting um, some sort of a pullback here, maybe somewhere around this area. Of course, we can see yet again that support with, from the visible range profile, um, um, giving us that support around here. And of course, the uh, 0 0.618 extension. But if we were to measure all this, also, you know, we could see here that the 50% comes around here, 16, about $16.39. And the 38.2% comes here at 17. Yeah, so this would be at least the minimum. And again, a good strong area of support. So I would consider to start buying around here. Probably again, using that kind of um, you know, scaling in method where perhaps scale in here at 10%, then a little lower, go 20, and then 40, 50% of the actual position that we want to, to have there. But Overall, I think this uh, has room to run. Uh, I mean, just like markets, but for now, uh, we we're definitely looking for for that pullback in the short term. Thanks for watching the video, and if you'd like to watch the rest of it, remember you can subscribe on Spotify, or you can also go to my Substack and subscribe there. If you subscribe to the Substack, you will also get access to my weekly newsletter. You can see some examples on there, and so if you subscribe on Substack, it's a little bit more, but you get the newsletter and the videos every week. So go ahead if you want to find out how this video finishes. I talk a little bit about the NDX, SPX, commodities, and basically a bunch of different charts.